with guns, by the way. It's going out and looking for teenagers that are out and about and uh, inviting them to come, creating uh, some contacts and, and reaching new young people in our area. And uh, something that we found was very effective before the Cola Clash. The first night of Cola Clash, there was 55 teens that were here, and um, there were 300 contacts that were made just that week by going out and doing exactly what Pastor Parker's talking about. And it was because there were several people that drove and helped the teens just to just hit the areas looking for them. And so if you're willing to help with that, that would be a great opportunity. Something that we're going to implement doing it several times a year where we focus in on that. We have an activity. We're going to go out and see if we can see those same exact type of contacts made for that. Let's get our Bibles tonight, if you would. Turn to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. I'm glad you guys, you know, you braved the storm tonight. There's a big storm raging coming this way, they say. That's what I heard anyway. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. If I, could, if, if I could ask if you would be willing to help me, would you all move into the center section? Just take a minute and do it. Because it'll make it a lot easier for me to look at you and talk to you. And if you don't want to move, you don't, I'm not going to make you do it. But if you'd be willing to help me out, I would appreciate that. Come on into the middle section. I feel like we're so spread out tonight. We don't normally have this problem. There are a lot of folks out of town. Hopefully people aren't sick. I know there's been sickness going through. I had it last week. Malachi, what did you do, man? You dropped a hammer on your foot? Do you know how to use a hammer? I got. I see that. Oh, okay, I know what's going on here. Oh, poor Malachi. What? You broke it or something? Oh, man. That's bad. Now I've got to look at some bare feet in the front row. Malachi, maybe you should move. No, I'm just kidding around. I'd rather see them than smell them. So it's okay, Malachi. I appreciate that. Amen. Well, thank you all for moving over and making it easier for me tonight to be able to see and, and to speak with you. Um, we're obviously a lot of folks gone tonight, but I'm sure glad that you're here. I'm glad that we can open up the Word of God and we can learn from it. And um, it's good to have Sarah's family here with us tonight. I want to welcome you folks. Thank you for joining with us tonight. So good to meet you. I had an opportunity to meet you a couple days ago. And, and uh, I praise the Lord for um, the heritage that, that uh, you have given to your daughter and uh, there's so much that um, is evident in her character and her, uh, she's just such a sweet person. We love her being here. Um, I'm sorry that we have taken her from you. It wasn't my fault. That was Pastor Parker's fault that you, that, that happened, but I'm sure glad that she is here. But it's so good to have you folks here with us tonight. Thank you for joining with us. Let's look here at Isaiah chapter 6. Why don't we begin in verse number 1, if you join me there. Let's go ahead and read it together. I'll read aloud as you follow along. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain He covered His face, and with twain He covered His feet, and with twain He did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of Him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke." Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that we would once again tonight, that we would be able to get just a a vision of you. Lord, that we would see you for who you are. I pray, Lord, that you'd be glorified in our lives. We thank you for the privilege to come together, Lord, and to open up your word and to read about you. Lord, thank you for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we long to know more of you. I pray, Lord, that tonight that we would continue to learn and, and grow in our respect for you. Lord, that we would understand that you are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our life. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, help our faith to grow. 
Encourage us. Be with those that can't be here tonight. Lord, I pray that you'd help them that are sick and, and help them to, to, to feel better. And Lord, I just pray that, that we would be encouraged through this message tonight. Lord, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to, to begin tonight once again um, this series that we began last month. A lot of things have happened since we started this. We, last time I preached on this subject, on um, this passage of Scripture, was about the 14th, I think, of July. And since then, we've had vacation Bible school. We've had all kinds of stuff with that. And then, last week, I was sick. And so we've had a couple of weeks off. But I began a new series um, on, the, I think, the 14th of July. And um, one of the, the series is entitled, Looking Through the Eyes of Isaiah, or Seeing God Through the Eyes of Isaiah. And I want us to look at, uh, over the next several months, I want us to just spend some time here in the book of Isaiah looking at what he saw, look through his eyes as God revealed himself to Isaiah. God not only revealed himself to Isaiah, but he also reveals himself to us through the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah was written as the inspiration of God. God gave it to him. God wants for us to learn from it. And um, I want us to, to, to glean from this, and I want us to just really to, to get a, 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 maybe a new or better or to add to our appreciation for God and who He is. Try to grasp a little bit more in, in the awe of who God is and how awesome God is. A few, uh, when we began this series, I talked about that there are many different ills within the Christian life. There are many challenges that we face. There are many things that we, I say ills, I'm talking about the fact that we have problems. Anybody here a perfect Christian, raise your hand. None of us. We all have challenges that we face. And many of the ills, I believe that they, we can r- bring them all back to the problem of the core of the issue of why we have the problems that we have in the Christian life. And I, I know there's many challenges that we face, but I'm talking about things that are self-inflicted. And I believe it all goes back to a single problem. The single problem is this. It's our view of God and our attitude about God. If we would but understand better who God is, If our attitude of who God is would be proper, it would change the way that we live our life. It would change the way we make decisions. It would change the way our priorities of what we do, how we live, where we go, where we don't go. And 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 so I want us to really uh, focus in on this. Once again, I want to go back. A.W. Tozer, a great writer, he wrote The Knowledge of the Holy, a great book. If you haven't read it, I would recommend it. Um, but once again, in, in the preface of the book, uh, he writes this. Let me just repeat this but because I think it really helps us to get on, on, on thought. He said this. He says, the low view of God entertained almost universally among Christians is the cause of a hundred lesser evils everywhere among us. The low view of God. He said then, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, what comes to your mind? What comes into your heart? Do you think about God? Is He prevalent in your life? Is He part of your every day, every moment? When you think about God, do we think about God as the one that just sort of gives us some nice things when we ask for them? We think about God as He's something that's a far distant thing far away. What comes to your mind? You see, what we believe about God and how we think of God will greatly affect our lives. And it's affecting many Christians today. It's having an impact on their life. It's having an impact on whether they're getting victory or not. 
So it's my desire of the, as we go through this study that, that we, we re, be reminded of the God that we know and serve. I don't know of a better teacher than the prophet Isaiah. What a wonderful teacher that he is. As you read through the book of Isaiah, his encounters with God and how God reveals Himself to him. And, and you, you just one of my favorite passages is what we're looking at here tonight, Isaiah chapter 6. But there's many more that you can see as you look through the eyes of Isaiah. You could really say that he's teaching theology, is teaching about God through the book of Isaiah. And so we're going to spend some time, and we began the first part of this study is God is an awesome God. God is an awesome God. And the very first point that we looked at, let me just review and then I'll jump in where we left off, is the first thing we noticed that we looked at is the greatness of a reigning God. Isaiah declares that he saw the Lord and one of the first things that caught his attention was that God was ruling and reigning in all of His greatness. The first thing that we notice here as we look at this passage of Scripture, when he looks at the throne, is we see the throne vision. Isaiah mentions a throne seven times here in this passage. Isaiah saw that this, that there was a, a throne that was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord ruling and reigning in all of his greatness. He saw the Lord and he saw him as one who was on the throne ruling and reigning. The one that Isaiah saw in all his greatness as a, as a reigning God was none other, by the way, than the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that he saw. And by the way, you know what? His kingdom will never end. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There will be no end. He will always be reigning from that throne. And that's the first thing we noticed. And I'm just reviewing a little bit. I'm not going into the depth of it, but I want to try to get you back into the mindset before we finish tonight in this, this, this passage of Scripture. The second thing we noticed was the time of his vision. What time was it? Does anybody remember what was going on when he had this vision? This is an easy one for you. Just look at verse 1. Does anybody remember what was going on? What was happening? What's that? Yeah, the king Uzziah was king and he died. He passed away. Why did that matter? Because King Uzziah actually was favorable to Isaiah. King Uzziah had helped Isaiah in a lot of ways. He was very favorable. It was a great encouragement to him. King Uzziah had brought great prosperity to the land, to the people, to the nation. Now he's dead. You'd think it'd be a time of turmoil. Things are turned upside down. Boy, we understand how elections happen. You get a change of leadership. And sometimes there can be some, what's going on? I mean, some worry and fear. Here we see in this time of vision that he sees that at this moment in time when things seem like they're going horribly in this world, that God is still on the throne. And I can tell you right now that God is still on the throne today. No matter what happens in an election, no matter what we're facing in our life, God is still and He is still reigning on the throne. And so we saw the greatness of a reigning God. So that's, that's review. Let me jump in now. I want to look at the, the, the rest of this section now tonight. And I want you to notice with me, secondly, the grandeur of a reverence God. The grandeur of a reverence God. Isaiah, he also saw the Lord who reigned in heaven and ruled over all things with a great, that, that was a great, it greatly reverenced, and he was a God that was worthy of reverence. He, he saw that there was great reverence in the very midst before God, and he, by the way, was worthy of that. In verse number two, he sees there that the angels that are there, look what it says there. It says, above it stood the seraphims. He sees the seraphims. 
So as he's looking at the throne, he's, he's, he's looking at the, the, his attention um, of the throne, but he sees that the seraphims are there. By the way, the seraphims were not to pull away the attention of the one that was there. No, their actions were magnifying the one that was sitting on the throne. And we notice here the seraphims, first of all, we notice their devotion. The seraphims' devotion. Now seraphims, they're, they're a member of the angel family. They're a type of angel. They, they have six wings. The word seraphim, it actually means fiery one. Fiery one. It is commonly believed that the name is an allusion to their love for the Lord and their devotion for the Lord. They're on fire for Him. So Isaiah, he saw them above the throne indicating that they were ready at, at once to minister to the Lord. They were ready at any moment to be there to minister unto the Lord. Anything the Lord would want them to do, they were ready and willing to do whatever He commanded. Interesting. Can you picture it with me? Every time I read this, I'm just overwhelmed and, and think about... Now, before I move any further, I just want to, I want to bring us back to the mindset of this. This is not just information. I want you to picture with me being at the very throne of God. Imagining Him sitting on the throne. Imagining seeing the seraphims there. Can you picture the scene, what's going on here? When I read this, I always, I'm like, it's like I'm there. And when I, when I think about this, and, and, and when we pray, it's like we are going to the very throne of God. This is what we are approaching. We're going to the very throne of Almighty God. We picture the seraphims that are there and Isaiah was given the glimpse of this and he actually saw it, writing it down so that we could see it. And we see these seraphims, they were devoted to the one that sat on the throne. The fiery ones, seraphims. I heard about a pastor that had a young son that asked the question. You know, kids will ask questions. I was, I was laughing on Sunday. Callie had brought some kids to church because the bus, we didn't have a bus driver so that she had to go pick some kids up. And uh, what did the kids do on the way to church, Callie? They ask questions all the way here. Kids do that, don't they? What they do on the way home from church, Callie? They ask questions. She gets home. Man, those kids didn't stop asking questions. Kids like to ask questions. And here was a pastor, the, the son, you know how kids will ask, ask the questions. He had been talking about the seraphims and the cherubims and the different types of angels. And, and the kids said to his dad, he says, Dad, well, what, what do the words cherubim and seraphim mean? I'm trying to understand. Well, that pastor took time to tell his little son, what the answer was. He says that, well, cherubim is a Hebrew word meaning knowledge. Knowledge. And the word seraphim, it stands for flame. Explaining that it is commonly supposed that cherubims are angels that excel in knowledge and seraphims are those that excel in love for God. Well, the little boy replied to his dad, he says, well, then I hope that when I die, I'll be a seraphim. I'd, I'd rather love God than to know everything. Now, of course, when we die, we're not going to become an angel. But sometimes we hear little what kids will say, and there's a lot of <laughs> wisdom to sometimes what they say. Knowing everything is not the most important thing. It's loving God. And, and that's what's so important that we need to understand in our own life as we look at these angels and their burning desire and their, their devotion to God. Isaiah, he saw a God. A God worthy to be loved. A God that was worthy to be served. He saw one who was on the throne that deserved to be loved and served by those that are under Him. And the reason people today don't love the Lord with all of their hearts, with all of their soul, is because they've never seen Him. They've never seen Him in His greatness. They've never seen Him in His grandeur. 
The reason people today don't live for God and serve Him is that they have never come to understand and to know Him as they should. How well do you know God? How well do you know Him? Who is God to you? We see here the devotion of the seraphim. Secondly, notice the description of the seraphims. Isaiah, he saw that each of the seraphims had how many wings? What does it say? Six wings. Six wings. Two of them wings were to cover their face. Two was to cover their feet. Two were to fly. Out of six wings, only two were used for flying. Four were used for covering themselves. One commentator, he wrote this. He said, two wings over the eyes represent reverence. Two wings over the feet represent humility. Two wings to fly show that they were in action. I love what he said about this, because listen to it. To be in service for Almighty God, we must meet these requirements. We have to have humility. Be humble. Who are we compared to God? Who are we to question the Word of God? We must humble ourselves. We must have reverence for God. Revere Him. Reverence. And then there ought to be action. More than just humility, more than just reverence, there ought to be a result of that humility, a result of that reverence. There ought to be action in our life. You see, Isaiah, he saw one that was to get all the glory, the one that was to get all the honor, one that was to get all the praise. He saw one whose beauty was far greater than any other. One who deserved all attention. One that deserved all affection and adoration. That's who he saw on that throne. Do we adore him? Do we see him for who he is? Is that my phone? I want to, you know, when I was growing up, I remember singing the, uh, the Handel's Messiah. Um, actually, we didn't do the whole thing. We did the holiday chorus. Growing up, we would do Christmas programs, and at the end of every Christmas program, the finale, we would always sing the holiday chorus. It was a, kind of a tradition for our church. Man, I loved singing that. It was so much fun to sing the tenor, and it was hard, it was high. It was a lot of fun, though. I really loved it. Loved, I love Handel's Messiah. I love his writing, and it's just an incredible piece. But I read a story about Queen Victoria when she first became queen. And, you know, one of the things, if you've ever been around the Hallelujah Chorus, when, when you sing the Hallelujah Chorus, it is customary out of respect for people to stand. It's a normal thing. If you're ever in a place where people sing that, people are going to stand up on that. They stand up in reverence, and it was a custom that they would do that. Well, shortly after Queen Victoria ascended her throne, she went as the custom was of royalty to hear the Messiah. As a new queen, she had been instructed as to her conduct and was told that she must not rise as the others got up. Everybody else got up, but she was supposed to stay seated because she is queen. Well, when that magnificent chorus was being sung and the singers were shouting, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. She sat as the custom of kings and queens was. But finally, when they came to the part of the chorus where with a shout they proclaimed Him King of kings, suddenly that young queen, it says that she rose and stood with bowed head as if she would take her crown and throw it at His feet. What a leader. You know, how do we live our life? How do we 
demonstrate our reverence for Him. You see, our God is not only on the throne, He is worthy to be on that throne. He is worthy of our love. He is worthy of our service. He is worthy of our praise. This is not just something we do on a Sunday morning in our worship service. By the way, it's empty and hollow on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock if this is not something that you're doing each day of your life, with your life, giving that living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. It is something that comes from our heart as we are transformed by the Word of God, as we get to know God more and more and more. We realize just how undone we are. I think of one of my greatest heroes is the Apostle Paul. And he claimed to be the chiefest of sinners. Why? I mean, Paul, look at what he did. Look at the miracles that he did, that God, I say he did, that God worked through him. Look at, I mean, look at the, 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 the churches that he started, the people that got saved. We, I believe, are a direct result of his ministry. Gentiles being saved, an apostle to the Gentiles. And he's the cheapest of sinners? Why? I believe why is because the closer he got to God, he realized just how undone he was. Isaiah saw it, how undone he was. The closer we get to God, the more we understand about Him, the more we we come to realize how worthy He is of our love, how worthy He is of our service, how worthy He is of our praise, the praise of our life. Not just words, but our life. You see, what many believers today need is a fresh vision of the Lord, as Isaiah did. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. You see, if we were to get that vision... It would leave us all saying, to Him be praise and glory. To Him be all praise and glory. So we see the greatness of a reigning God. We see the grandeur of a reverence God. And then thirdly and lastly tonight, notice if you would, the glory of a righteous God. The glory of a righteous God. We see here the exclamation of His holiness. Isaiah did not only see the seraphims, what they were doing, he also heard what they were saying. Look at verse number 3. Notice what they're saying. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Amazing. Can you picture that? Can you imagine the thundering sound of it? Can you picture that? You know, there's another picture we see just like this in Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 8. And we're going to be there. Notice what it says there on the screen in verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Can you picture the scene? You know, part of the occupation of the seraphims as well as the other occupants of heaven is to, that of magnifying the holiness of God. To magnify, not themselves, but to magnify the holiness of God. One of the great themes, if not the chief theme, is the holiness of God. I want you to notice that the seraphims, they called Him Lord. Look at it. Look at the Word. I want you to see it there in verse 3. Do you see it? What do you notice about that Word? It's all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
which actually is His name. It's all capital letters. It's a name that we often pronounce Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the the sacred name of God. Look at verse number 1. We see there that I saw the Lord. What's different about that word? What do you see? It's not all caps, is it? Just the first letter. That's a title. That's describing Him with a title. That's not His name though. His name is found there that we see when it says capital L-O-R-D. Lord, that's His name. Yahweh, His personal name. You know what's interesting is that there's actually no one actually knows the correct pronunciation of that name. Uh, the Hebrew at the time, they had no vowels. Therefore, the name was written Y-H-V-H. And that's the way you would have seen it if you would have seen it as far as our interpretation of it. No vowels. Can you imagine not having any vowels in your language? That'd be something, wouldn't it? It's called the tetragrammaton. Tetragrammaton. It's the four-letter word. And later scholars, they added the vowels from the name Adonai. That's where we get the vowels from. Which gives us Yehovah. Jehovah. That's where we get the name Jehovah from. The name was considered so sacred that the Jews refused to pronounce the name. They wouldn't even say it. They would not write it. Orthodox Jews to this day still will not pronounce the name. You see, the way the name was treated and respected was a testimony of the holiness of God. Why? Because He is Lord. He is Jehovah. He is the great I Am. And He is a holy God. They were so careful in the way that they used that name. We ought to be careful in the way that we use God's name. And I'm not just talking about not using His name in vain. I'm talking about saying that we're a child of God. I'm talking about being flippant in the way that we talk about God. I'm talking about the reverence that we have for the Word of God. The things of God. Of who God is. And one of the things that we must be always remembering is that the emphasis of His holiness that we see in the Word of God. The seraphims, they did more than just declare that God was holy. They repeated the cry. They cried out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. You see, their repeating of a word was in Hebrew poetry the way of placing emphasis on a matter. I believe that there was a double thing that was going on here. One thing was, we're talking about triune, holy God. He is thrice holy. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is holy. But also in the Hebrew, they would, they would use a, a re- repetition in their poetry. It would be something they would use for emphasis. I mean, for instance, uh, for us for us to put emphasis on a word, what, is, what are ways that we do it? We underline it. We might italicize it. We might put it in all caps or make it bold. Um, we might highlight it or, um, uh, you know, or at the end of a, 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 a sentence, we'll put an exclamation point, something like that. But see, the Jewish people, they emphasized a word or phrase by repeating the word or phrase. It was a way of drawing special attention to what was being said. To mention something three times in succession was to elevate it to a superlative degree and give it the greatest of importance. That which was given special attention in Isaiah's vision was what? What do we see here? The holiness of God. He is holy, holy, holy. In fact, this is the only attribute that is given such attention, such emphasis. You think about it. Does it say anywhere in the Bible that God is love, love, love? 
Nowhere. But God is love. There's no doubt about that. Anywhere in the Bible that God, God is gracious? Gracious, gracious? No. But God is gracious. There's no doubt. How about, is God good? Yeah. I don't see in the Bible anywhere where it says God is good. Good, good. But we do see that God is holy. Holy, holy. The emphasis being the fact that He is a holy God. You see, all the attributes of God, that which is the greatest and of importance is that God is holy. We must remember that. We need to come to understand that. We need to come to respect that. God is a holy God. We read in verse number 4 that the very mention of His holiness, what, is it, what happens as a result of it? Because of the mention of the holiness of God, look what happens. The posts of the door moved. Can you picture it? The moving of the post because of the holiness of God and the temple is filled with smoke. The seraphims declared in verse 3 that the whole earth is full of His glory. The glory of His holiness fills the entire earth. One commentator said it this way. He said any study of God's characteristics must logically begin with a look at the holiness of God. If you're going to look at the attributes of God, you've got to start with He is holy. Most important attribute. He said this, more than any other attribute, God's holiness is what sets Him apart from man. His holiness sets Him apart from us. He is holy. He is holy. That word there, holy, is an amazing word. It comes from a Hebrew word that really is impossible to define for us. We can take the some parts of the word, we can come up with a meaning, but the reality is that the word defies definition. You see, God Himself is holy. He is holy. His holiness is beyond our defining and describing. We can't even completely understand it. But as a holy God, He's in a class and a category all of His own. He is above all other gods, all false gods. He is holy. He is above us. He is, as a holy God, He is absolutely righteous. There's no shadow of impurity in Him. He is always, has always done right. He will always do right. And furthermore, He could not be less than right or holy. It's not just that He will be less. He cannot be less. It's beyond. It's above. A.W. Tozer says this. He said, God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. It's above and beyond what we can comprehend. I think of God and His holiness. And then I think of myself. We think of ourselves. We think of people that are marked by failure. People that are marked with faults. Sin. Even at our best. Our very best, there's imperfections. But when we think of God... We think of one in which there is no imperfection, where there is no faults, where there is no failures, where there is no sin. He is holy. Listen, when we think of one whose every word is true, we think of God. God is the one that we think of whose every act is righteous. God is the one that we think of that, listen, that will not and cannot be anything less than these things. He is holy. And like the seraphims of heaven, the cry of every believer Every single one of us ought to be holy, 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 
The Lord is holy. Lord God Almighty, He is holy. And we ought to see Him for who He is. We ought to praise Him for who He is. We ought to worship Him. Worship Him. His holiness is the grounds of our worship. His holiness is the call of our worship. His holiness ought to be the theme of our worship. Do you worship Him? You worship Him with your life? He's worthy. What does Isaiah tell us about our God? He tells us that in all His greatness, He is a reigning God. He tells us that in all His grandeur, He is a reverenced God. He tells us, and above all that, He tells us that in all His glory, He is a righteous and holy God. This is our God. Our God is an awesome God. That is who we worship. That is who we serve. That is who we are to love. That is who we are to lay our life down as a living sacrifice to. That is the one that we ought to live for. That is the one that we ought to get to know more. We ought to come in our life and realize that He is holy, holy, holy. And He is Lord God Almighty. He is an awesome God. Would you all stand as we have a word of prayer?